Shut up and sit down. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Third Shift. This is episode 129. I, of course, am your glorious host, Matt, the best host there could ever be. And with me, as always, it's my boy, Eric. Eric, why don't we start it off like we always do? How was your week this week, my man? <laughs> Fantastic, Eric. Love it. Glad to hear it. That's right, guys. You heard it live right now. Eric is not here with me. He's sick. He's got the sniffles. He's in bed all covered up. He's eating his chicken soup. You know, from what I hear, the dude is actually like quite very sick. He says he's shaking. He's got the fever. He's got the he's got the half dead. So pray for Eric. He's at death's door. But I'm still here. I would never miss an episode, even though I just missed two in a row. So don't don't think don't don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. I'm here for you, so I'm going to tell you how my week was, because I know y'all want to know. Y'all want to know, what's Matt been up to? I've been playing some more Ace Combat 7 on the gaming front. That's been a lot of fun, but like I've, like I've kind of talked about before, it is frustrating the way certain missions are designed. Like, I've been running into a lot of missions where it's, maybe you start off doing one thing, it switches to another thing, but... It doesn't explain how best to do that secondary thing, or it's a score attack mission, like I talked about last time, where here's the score threshold you got to reach, but it doesn't really explain how to find the best score. Like, for instance, the score attack mission that I just played a little while ago, played it on stream. So you're going in, you're launching attacks against surface targets. There's lots of ships out there. There's lots of, you know, anti-aircraft guns and SAM things. But what they also are are like giant mobile base platforms, not mobile bases. There's giant land-based platforms. Kind of think of like uh, like an oil rig, like oil platforms, and they're all linked together, and they're all got defensive stuff on them. So as you're going through, you know, there's SAM turrets on those, there's anti-aircraft guns, there's radar towers, there's this, that, and the other thing all on top of those. And each one of those little things gives you 100 to 200 score when you blow them up. Now, the score threshold to pass the mission is like 25,000. So I'm going through, I'm blowing these up. I'm like, okay, it's not giving me much score. And you look down, you know, maybe there's an oil tanker underneath it. You blow that up for 500, that's pretty good. You find like a destroyer over here in this weird dry dock thing, shoot both missiles at it, both miss. What's happening? Well, the dry dock thing, it's like, it's it's got two big walls around it. So you got to like fly the trench to shoot the destroyer to only get 300 points. And nothing's, nothing's working. I'm at like 1,700 points, like halfway through the mission. Nowhere near 25,000. And then I start finding out, oh, between each of these oil rig platform type things, there's a bridge. A little bridge thing, you shoot it for 100 points. I'm like, yeah, I got to shoot the bridge. Bridges are cool. You got to blow the bridge up. Blow the bridge up. Now, that, doing that, which you have to experimentally find, it doesn't say anything in the mission, in the brief, anything about it. But if you do that... Now it unlocks, as a target, the core of that oil platform. Sometimes it's underneath, like you got to fly underneath and shoot the central pillar. And sometimes you got to like angle your missiles in through all the, the struts and stuff to hit the center of like the enclosed platform part. But if you do that, you shoot the core, that gives you 400 points, but it also blows up the entire platform and gives you points for every single thing that was on it. So you're getting thousands of points each time you blow one of these up. But there's no way to find that out until you experiment in the mission the first time. So it's like you play the mission first to fail and and learn how it works, learn the tricks, 
so that you can get it next time. And, I mean, it's fun because Ace Combat is fun. I, I never feel frustrated when this happens because I'm having fun in the mission itself. But it's, there's no other word but frustrating that you can so rarely pass these missions the first time because there's a trick or a gimmick or some kind of strategy you got to follow, an optimum path or something like that in order to to actually pass these missions. And it, like I said, the game's still fun and I still enjoy it, but part of me just wants to feel like an ace. And I don't feel like that when I have to figure out the puzzle the first time and fail because by the time you figure it out, it's way too late. You can't get it done in the time limit. But then you do it the next time and it's like, well, I do feel like an ace because I'm doing it right, but I already know how to do it. So I don't really feel like that. Like, aha, I've got it. And I did it at the same time. You know what I'm saying? So it's a little frustrating, but... I mean, it is still Ace Combat. It's still got that over-the-top story, the big, long story segments in between each mission. You know, you got the intro briefings, extra briefings. It's still a ton of fun. I love flying planes around and shooting missiles and flying up against, like, the the experimental planes that can do, like, crazy loop-de-loops and just almost blow you out of the sky unless you are on your game. That part of the game is still amazing, still fun. It's It, it still looks great. It still plays great. It's just a little bit frustrating in that respect, but I'm still having a good time. I can't wait to play some more. I'm probably going to do that some more this weekend, but uh, we'll see. Also this week, you guys know I am the Cinema King. Matt Goes to the Movies is a thing on Twitter that I made and nobody ever interacts with, but I do it. I still do it. It's still fun. So I saw two movies this week. First up, I went and saw Cold Pursuit. Saw that on, I believe it was Saturday afternoon. You know, sitting around, hey, it was actually right after I played some Ace Combat. I went, all right, time to get out of the house. What am I going to do? I'm going to go watch a movie. going to go see Cold Pursuit with Liam Neeson. And if you saw my tweet about it, there's no way to explain it without spoiling some of the movie. So I'll try and keep it like as toned down as possible. But that movie is, I'm going to quote my tweet here, weird and wild and wonderful in ways I would never have imagined going in. If you see the trailers, you think, oh, look, it's going to be like Taken. You know, it's going to be... a Liam Neeson revenge movie. And it is, but it's also totally not, like it's not set up like any of those movies at all. You spend a lot of time with the villains, with side characters, with side characters you didn't even know were going to be in the movie, and now they're in the movie and they have like five minute scenes, and you're learning all about just these people who like, it's like, who is this guy even? You don't even know who these two people are. I mean, you know, like, how they're connected to the overall story and what group they're with, but it's like, who's this guy, and who's that guy? And you learn about them, and you learn, like, their quirks, and they're funny, and they're goofy, but it's also, like, why am I in this scene? What is this here for? But it all plays so weirdly and strangely, hilariously together. It's just, it's really weird. Like, it's not a... It's not a slam-bang action movie all the way through. There's lots of humor. There's lots of really dark humor. And there were a lot of moments in the theater where I was laughing uproariously and none of the other old old people were laughing. And I was like, I don't think they get it. And I wasn't sure that I really got it either. But it's just, it's just so weird to see these decisions that they made as filmmakers to how to put the story together and, and film it and get you in with these characters it's uh, it's I can't give any concrete examples, but like I said, you spend 
so much time with some side characters who you don't think would influence the plot at all, and in some cases really don't, but it I don't, I don't know. like They're so likable and funny that it makes it worth it. It makes it right. And there's a really, really cool thing I won't spoil, but there's a really stylish thing they do. If you watch the movie, you'll see it, and that made me laugh every time it happened. I can't say what it is. There's... there's uh, I can't spoil it. No, there's there's graphics on the screen. Is all I'll say. There's like a, a something you see. It's not like happening. I can't spoil it. But once you see the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. That made me laugh every time it happened. The way it changes for different people made me laugh. I, I won't say anything more than that. I loved it. I loved the movie. It was weird. It was strange. It was hilarious. I was laughing so hard, especially by the end of it. It has a very a very Deadpool 2 moment at some point in the movie, and it just made me laugh so hard. By that point, everyone in the theater was laughing, so I think they finally gave up whatever pretext or preconception, preconceived notions of this movie that they had going in, and they were just in it, just like I was. It was great. Second movie I saw this week was Glass. I just saw that yesterday. I'm recording this on Wednesday. I saw it Tuesday night. That movie was really good. I, I enjoy M. Night Shyamalan movies just, I don't know. I mean, some of them aren't great, but they're all unique and they're visually interesting to me. Like the way he shoots stuff, it looks, I don't know. I like the looks of his movies. And I really, really, really loved Unbreakable. I haven't seen Split, but I, I mean, I know all that happened in it. But I loved Unbreakable. So seeing those characters back again here really kind of made my day and like when you see them in action because obviously unbreakable is like the origin story of that so to see them develop and and change and become what they were going to become and sort of became in unbreakable here in glass was really really good i won't obviously i can't spoil anything but there was a twist i didn't like and then a twist that i did like that's all i'm gonna say but i i enjoyed it overall I still think Unbreakable was a a cooler and better movie because, well, I've never talked about Unbreakable on the show, but real quick, I love that movie because every shot, you could picture it as a comic panel. Like when two characters were talking, the way the shots were framed, I could see like the, the speech bubbles or the thought bubbles next to characters, like an actual frame of a comic book. And I didn't really get that in this movie, but there were a lot of really cool shots of like POV from certain characters like there'd be, you know, POV from David or Elijah or whoever the split dude was in that moment looking at another character. And it really kind of puts you in their mindset or different characters looking at them. And it kind of put you in that moment and put you in that character's head and really kind of gave you, I don't know, kind of a unique feel or a unique look to it. So I would recommend it. If you liked Split or Unbreakable, obviously you should see this one. But... Uh, yeah, I enjoyed that one, too. And then the only other thing I've been doing this week is, hey, my buddy Eric obviously pre-ordered The Division 2, and I think somehow he got an extra beta code, maybe because he had done so much stuff in Division 1, getting ready for Division 2, and he had pre-ordered Division 2. So he gave me his extra code. I got in there and I played that. I played at least a few hours of it, and, well, I hated it. I didn't enjoy my time with that, like, at all. I can't explain why. I mean, I mean, can't explain why, but it, it doesn't really make sense. Like, nothing felt right in that game to me. And maybe it's just my memories of Division 1, but I remember it feeling a lot tighter. 
Like when you ran, you felt tight, like you were running, like the controls were tight. And maybe tight's not the word, maybe stiff is the word. And that's what I wanted in a quasi-realistic military shooter type game like Division 1 was. But when I booted up Division 2, got into the beta, the first thing I did was move forward and run, and it felt loose. Like I felt like my arms were like flopping, and I could just turn at ease willy-nilly, and it didn't feel right. It felt like a like an action game, like maybe I was running around like in Red Dead or something, but it didn't feel like a military shooter. And if that was a conscious decision they made, and maybe it's, it, maybe it's all in my head, but if they did make that conscious decision... I understand why, because it'll be more accessible and more fun for people to play, but something about that just did not feel right to me. And, you know, Eric talked about the game a little bit on the last third shift, about how, you know, getting into and out of cover and vaulting over cover felt a lot better, and that's true, but it worked in service of this looser feeling, and I just did not enjoy that at all. I mean, the same thing happened with the shooting. Like, I'd bring up my gun, you'd get the little the little reticle on the display, and it never felt impactful. It never felt precise. Like I would have an assault rifle, and maybe half the time it felt like my shots were grouped up tight. I was hitting people, doing the right amount of damage. But then the other half of the time, I would be lined up at the same range, not moving, same tight reticle, same you know burst fire number of shots I was putting out, and they'd either miss or they'd just like not hit like not register. So like the combat just felt bad to me and the mo and the movement just felt wrong. And I don't understand why, but that totally ruined all the good stuff. Like everything good that Eric said about the game, I can see it. Like it it's, it's there. It's more of division. If you love division, this is way more of it. And it builds on top of the old structure in really interesting ways. But I just didn't like it. I just didn't feel it, which I mean, and that's a good thing to have a beta like that. So if this happens to you, you don't waste $60 or 90 plus dollars on a bonus, you know, ultimate edition or any or anything. So I'm glad I got to play it. I'm glad I got to have that hands on time with it. But I just didn't like it. And again, it's still in beta phase. So maybe it'll get tightened up. Maybe this isn't 100% how it was supposed to be. Maybe I was just having lots of bugs, especially in the shooting. I don't know, but I did not enjoy the Division 2 beta at all. So I'm not going to be getting that. And then what's... What? What, what ding dong? What? Hello? What is What is this? What is this? I've been handed like a... Something that says for the mailbag? What? Now, I did go on Twitter before recording this show and put out the call for mailbag stuff because I knew I'd be here by myself. And I got a piece of mail here. Fresh today, question from our lovely listener, SLBSRD. She asks, you talked about betas on your most recent show. How does it work to get into a beta? Do you get a discount on the game if you do the beta? How do you provide feedback if you get in the beta? Well, there's lots of different ways they can do it. You can have closed betas, you can have open betas. A lot of times, companies will do closed betas, especially if it's a game like... The Division, where it's an MMO-type game, where it's a massively multiplayer online game, where you have to have lots of players accessing the servers, you want to do a beta test of that before it goes live, so you know what your servers can, the stress they can handle, all that other stuff. What can happen is companies can just do, you know, sign-ups. Hey, if you want to access the beta, send us your email, send us your system specs if it's on PC, 
you know, send us all this stuff, and then they'll randomly choose X number of people to have access to the beta. You know, you get to sign in on their servers, play around with it, or as is the case with Division 2, you can do, like, if you pre-order, you get access to a closed beta. So if you pre-ordered, when the beta time rolls around, you'll get a code, download the, the, the beta version of the game, you get access to it. Other companies like Anthem can do an open beta where just for, usually it's like usually for a weekend or, you know, a day or two, anybody who wants can jump on and download it, get into the beta version of the game, play around with it. So you usually don't get any kind of discount. It's just Eric has a theory because he's been playing World of Warcraft and doing all their betas for forever. Eric's got a theory that if you get into a lot of betas, maybe you get a little bit prime on the list for the next beta. Maybe that happens. Maybe it doesn't. None of us really know. But like Gearbox, when they did the close technical test for Battleborn, that was via the shift service. So if you'd signed up, made a shift account, you kind of got priority seating in and priority notification of when that happened. So if you have loyalty with a company, they're kind of going to give you first access to that beta. If they've given you some way to do that, that's, that's a good way to get into it. Usually don't get any kind of discounts on the game itself. Usually and often you have to pre-order the game. So already indicate willingness to purchase to be able to access that beta. And then as far as feedback on the beta, usually if you're a beta tester, they set up beta tester forums. You log in with your email. You send them any kind of feedback. Like if you got bugs, what happened, where, all that other good stuff. So hopefully that answers your question, SLBSRD. I think that wraps up my week and a mailbag question that I got done. Together as a team this week, we did absolutely nothing, except that's actually wrong because we recorded a bit for our Patreon subscribers. Anybody who's at that shifter tier, we recorded a shifter monthly topic all about, well, you'll have to find out when I finally edit that episode and it comes up to you. That should be coming up in the next couple days. Coming up next week, we have IG2G episode 47. I know a couple topics I guarantee Eric's going to want to talk about. We're probably going to be talking about that Nintendo Direct that just happened today, live as I'm recording this. All kinds of stuff. Eric's going to be like, oh man, Switch is so cool, it's getting all kinds of cool stuff. And I'll say, well, there's one game I'm interested in, so maybe this will make me get the Switch. And he'll go, oh, I can't believe you have got the Switch. And I'll go, oh, maybe this will do it. And then I won't get it, and we'll do the whole rigmarole until the day we die. It'll be great. But tune in for that. And you know what else is great that you should always tune in for? Shift codes for Golden Keys and Borderlands, the pre-sequel. So hit up the Twitter, the Reddit, the forums, the Instagram. Hit up your preferred shift code provider. Get yourself some free loot for the pre-sequel. And that's not the only shift code you should get. If you did not get the Lovapalooza skins in Borderlands 2 or the pre-sequel, they have reactivated the shift codes for both of those games. Valentine's Day themed skins. If you want those, hit up the Twitter, the Reddit, the forums, the Instagram, your preferred shift code provider. Go get yourself some fancy pink skins. You're going to love it. If you haven't, if you've done it already, these codes won't work. You don't get them like again. But if you did it already, you already have them. So why would you want to put them in again or whatever? If you don't have them, go get them. It'll be great. In the Gearbox News realm, Eric's not here to talk about Submodel's latest video, whatever that's about. I don't watch that crap. He's the one who's reporting on that. and He's sick. He's dead. So no news on that this week. Tune in next week. Maybe Eric will be back. He can cover two weeks of Submodel stuff. The only thing that I saw in the Gearbox realm is everybody's been saying, hey, did you guys know Gearbox is hiring? Like Randy Pitchford tweeted that out. And then people would quote retweet that and say, like our buddy Jim Ferrando would say, hey, Gearbox is an amazing company full of awesome people. You should totally sign up and apply and go do cool stuff. 
So then, of course, Gearbox official, in the wake of some news that's going to happen, I'm going to talk about it in a second, they posted up, hey, we're, lurk- we're looking for people all across the whole games industry. We're looking for artists, programmers, producers, influencer managers, brand managers, and way more. So hit up the Gearbox career page. If you're interested in working for Gearbox, all we ever hear and all we ever see is that Gearbox is full of awesome people, genuinely cool people who have a real passion for what they're doing. So if you want to get into the games industry, or if you are in the games industry and you want to find another group of cool people to work for, check out Gearbox. They're hiring all kinds of people. If you can fit in there and have a great time and be really cool, join the team. It'll be awesome. Now, what did I tease? I teased that they post that up after some bad news that just dropped And that big bad news, and I know Eric's sad that he's not here to talk about it because Blizzard is his baby, so I'll I'll cover it as as broadly as I can because I'm not a big, I mean, I play Overwatch, but I'm not a big Blizzard guy. He's been with Blizzard for forever. But the big news this week is that Activision Blizzard has cut a whole bunch of employees. Apparently, it's about 8% of their 9,600 employees, so around 800 people have lost their jobs over the last couple days. And from the latest Kotaku article I read, it's mostly support staff, but it's also, you know, some game design people like artists and designers. The layoffs have happened like all across the world, you know, people in Europe, people in the U.S., other places that they've had stuff. I mean, obviously, it's it's bad news for those people. I mean, there's no there's no way it's not bad news. But the big the big hullabaloo, the big hubbub has come because... The, the layoffs were kind of announced via an earnings call with Activision CEO Bobby Kotick, who is a lightning rod for controversy because of the way he runs Activision and all of Activision's business practices. And it's been quiet on the Western front for a while. Now he's in the crosshairs again, because during this earnings call with their investors or conference call or whatever it was, well, let, me, let me pull up the actual quote because I wrote it down. They said they've had record results in 2018, but they also missed their expectations. And so now they've got lowered expectations for 2019, so they're going to cut people in certain areas to better refocus on the titles that they want to, you know, be pushing Call of Duty every single year. And that's that's led to a lot of, A, flack from people who, there have been a lot of people saying that, you know, it's your job as a CEO to take care of your employees first, and foremost, but you also are the head of a big company, so you got to answer to your investors and make the most money for them. Again, Eric and I will probably get into this whole discussion at a later date, but it's it's been it's been that big discussion. Every indie developer I've seen has been blowing up at Activision for this practice of firing a whole bunch of people and slimming down. Another big thing I've seen is the whole the whole Activision versus Blizzard like mentality and way of doing things. And Eric's talked to me a lot about this, you know, from the Blizzard end, because he follows a lot of Blizzard people, saying that Activision is trying to change the culture there. And if anybody knows Activision versus Blizzard, Activision style is we pump franchise games out every single year, and we pump them and pump them and pump them and pump them. We never stop making money. We never stop making games. Whereas Blizzard, on the other hand, is usually well, we'll put a game out when it's done and when it's apex quality once it's awesome, so it's maybe every three or four or five or six or ten or eighty years. And that those two company philosophies don't mesh well, so you've been seeing a lot of Blizzard execs, longtime Blizzard people, leaving the company, 
and now this is kind of a lot of people are taking this as a Activision wants Blizzard to conform to their way of doing things, so you got to cut these extra people to kind of force them into that that Activision mold. Is that 100% the case? I don't know. That's what everybody has been saying, though. And maybe it's just court of public opinion, but regardless, lots of people are out of work now, and it, it, that's a shame for them. It's, it's bad news no matter how you slice it. Now, on the good front, I have been hearing that a lot of those people, or at least... Well, I think the last the last Kotaku article I read said most of the full-time employees did get severance this time. There was a letter going around saying that, you know, they'd be doing continuing health care coverage benefits, you know, during the transition time for these employees, which is good, especially in the fallout of the whole Telltale thing where nobody got anything. Now, on the bad front, but I do understand it from a business perspective, apparently that stuff hasn't been offered to contract employees but that's different. You're a full-time employee versus contract employee. So that whole thing's shaking out. Maybe we'll talk about that more next week once Eric's back. But that's, that's what's happening. Another big layoff restructuring type of thing in the games industry. And what does it... Oh my goodness, it's another mailbag question. Totally related to what's going down today. And I guarantee this person didn't know that this was happening in the games industry. Because it's, again, from SLB SRD. She writes, you guys talk a lot about studios that either close or let lots of people go. Is it just the instability of the industry? And my answer to that, and maybe Eric can provide his answer to it next week when he's back, my answer to that is yes and no. Gaming is big right now. It's super hot. You got all these giant games coming out, making all kinds of money. So the gaming industry itself isn't like, you know, in a slump and going up and down and up and down, even though that is the cycle of business and industry, as we all know. I think this is kind of systemic to how big gaming has gotten. And we talked a little bit about this on IG2G and the how to fix it episode and discussion that we had a couple weeks ago. And I, you know, you see this kind of stuff in Hollywood, in television, in other entertainment industries. Once companies get so big and have like other development houses underneath them or a smaller development house gets super hot and gets a ton of investment and a ton of investors and then has to produce more than it's technically capable of, which I think kind of happened in the Telltale case because it got so hot with all these hot properties and it all kind of just started falling apart by the wayside. Here, in the case of like EA, who's, who's done this a lot, and now Activision, now they're such big, giant companies who are used to scooping up giant handfuls, just sacks and sacks of money. And if you only scoop up 99 sacks of money when you were planning on 100 you really you got to cut people so you can get more and more and more sacks of money. Like we've heard about it with uh, the Tomb Raider games. They made hundreds of millions of dollars, or millions of dollars, or however much they made, but it, it fell short of what we were really looking for. So we got to rethink our strategy. Same thing happened with Hitman. You know, it didn't make nearly as much money as some of these big giant games, but when you, quote fingers, fall short of expectations, then the company, quote fingers, is forced to reorganize and that kind of thing. So I think that's what's happening with this one in particular and with a lot of the other studio shutting down type stories that we've been hearing lately. I think it's just, it's endemic to how big the industry has gotten because once stuff gets that big, it starts operating more like a ruthless corporation than a 
happy, fun group of dudes who just want to make cool games and program together, you know, with nine or ten of their buddies. Once you get up to having 100 employees, then it's a whole other beast. A thousand employees is a whole other beast. Employees all over the world, a beast of a whole different color. So I think that's what we're, what we're, we're looking at. It's, it's part of the industry. It's not, maybe to some degree it is the instability of the industry, but it's instability in my mind that's caused by the industry itself. So I hope that answers your question, SLB, SRD. And I think that pretty much wraps it up. A- oh, man, gee. the hits just keep on coming. Now this, this mailbag question, this envelope here, it's dusty, it's dirty, it's, I don't, I don't know if I should open it. It's a little moldy. It smells, oh, God, oh, God, it smells. This has been sitting in the, oh, it's been sitting in the mailbag for a while. I feel really bad about it. Like the ink on the envelope, it's all smudged. I can just barely make it out. This is from our old pal on Facebook, Bobby Enot, who we have not heard from in about a year and a half. And it may be because we never answered this mailbag question. Bobby, if you are still out there, this one is for you. I did not forget about you. I mean, I didn't forget about you. We did forget about this mailbag question, but we got a Facebook message, you know, to the third shift group. And while I was in there looking at that one, I went, hey, what's this from Bobby that we never answered? So Bobby, Enoch, this one is for you. This one is for the Battleborn fans out there. Let me pull it up and see what his question is. So from August 23rd, 2017, our old pal Bobby Enoch, we love you, Bobby. Please still be here. I'm really sorry that we didn't get to this. He writes... Hey, Eric and Matt, here's something for your mailbag. Not sure if it'll make an interesting conversation or not, but, and when I got this, I was like, this would be a cool conversation. And then we totally lost it. I'm sorry. This would be a cool conversation if anyone else was here, but people will be here in spirit. You'll see. Anyway, whatever. He asks, if they turned Battleborn into a Saturday morning cartoon, who would you like to see as the main characters of the show? And what stories would you like to be told? Thanks, guys. I'm the only one here right now. So I put the call out to Twitter, and I put the call out in our in our crew Discord. I was like, Danny and Eric, you both got to get me your stuff so I can read it on the air and answer Bobby Enoch's question. So we're going to go with Eric first. But Eric, oh my goodness, wrote a big old long response. I'm surprised he was able to stay conscious long enough when, with all his medications flowing through his system. But he writes, if Battleborn were to become a Saturday morning cartoon, it would practically write itself. We would follow the LLC years before any of the Varelsi events began to take place. We would follow the everyday exploitations. That's not what you meant to say, Eric, no. What he means to say is that we would follow the everyday exploits of Phoebe, Marcus, Eldragon, and Cleese. I don't think Isaac was on their side at that point. No, he wasn't. Think about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, where the story is continuous, but every episode is generally a contained slice. I agree with this more on that later. With a wide array of character traits, I think this cartoon could provide endless entertainment. On top of the main characters and their day-to-day, it would be extremely easy to bring in guest stars, especially the rogues, since they love to do piratey stuff, and that would involve stealing from the LLC ships. Of course, this would always be made out to be more humorous than not, and a goofy little lesson would be taken away every time. You could contain each season with almost any time frame you wanted to by years, months, or weeks. I would personally go with the months option to allow room for multiple seasons leading into the large catastrophe. Well, thank you, Eric, for your grand vision and your big giant post. I appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for, thanks for writing in sick with that one. 
Now let's see. Who we got next here? We got... So our next one comes to us from the Warden of the Friendship Gulag, Shelalana. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. I'm sure I'm not, but at Shelalana on Twitter, this person writes, Melka for sure, definitely Isaac as the sarcastic downer to keep things surprisingly light. Galt, Reyna, and Wrath. There would definitely be a three-part episode involving the Eldred Observers because they're intriguing. Well, thanks, Shelalana. Thank you for your suggestion. Thank you for your answer. I'm really glad we got a couple responses to this one. I wasn't sure if we'd get a lot of people on Twitter, but we got a couple, so I'm definitely glad to hear that. Next up, we have a response from Danny. So Danny writes, If Battleborn were a Saturday morning cartoon, the series would probably start back in the days before they became the Battleborn. I feel like the Peacekeepers and the Generates are the main factions, so I think our main characters would most likely be Oscar Mike and Galt on the Peacekeeper side, and then DeAndy and Atticus on the Generate side. Five factions kind of makes it a little difficult to focus on every single aspect, so maybe they would break it up into ten episodes, two episodes per faction, to kind of introduce everyone, then start weaving the stories together. That said, I would want to hear many stories about the rogues, led by Reyna, with Pendles providing the comic relief, and a Pendles Alani side story where they get trapped alone somewhere, Pendles makes up outrageous concepts that Alani continues to believe long afterwards, and everyone has to correct her every time while Pendles dies of laughter in the background. The second season would be how basically the four factions agree to join up and put a stop to the Generates. But then everything is destroyed by Rendane, the Generates agree to a truce with the other four factions, the Battleborn are formed, and they work together to save Solus. Of course, Battle Pops would become a real thing and get shamelessly plugged at every opportunity possible. I do like the Battle Pops thing. That's the, I'm picturing like the, the G.I. Joe, the more you know kind of thing. Oh man, what are you eating, Randy? I'm eating some Battle Pops. Woo! Get my flame pillars like extra cool stuff. Boom! Battle Pops available at your local Target and Walmart stores. Cha-ching! Be a Battleborn. So good one, Danny. And now, as I read both of yours, I'll move on to mine here. And then we got one more at the very end here. And I would say, kind of picking from both of you guys, both of you guys starting before the whole Battleborn thing, I think you should do that. But I think we would do that like, if anyone remembers uh, Thundercats, they had like a five-part, like big overarching story before, like they got down to the planet, and then and then they had like the monster of the week thing with Mumra. I think you do that with Battleborn. You have like, oh man, we're all factions scattered across, and maybe like the first episode of this five-parter is the rogues. Second part is the peacekeepers. Second part is the generate. You know all the, and then by the end of it, you have the overarching story of. You know, by the end of the rogues one, it's like, oh man, we got this thing. Oh, this thing's happening. We got to go. The end of the generate one, same thing. And then, so by that fifth episode, you get them all just to the point of starting the story. And then you can do all sorts of monster of the week or event of the week or hunt of the week or, you know, adventure of the week type things in the Battleborn storyline. Like, you know, you can have the, the Eldred Guardians. Like I think I think that would be a really cool story. Like when you have to go find the Eldred Guardian, but you end up killing it. But maybe in the course of the Saturday morning cartoon show, it's like oh everyone's sad, but they're able to save a piece of it and put it in this like snarf like character, like for Thundercats. Oh now it's the big Eldred Guardian, but it's you know the cute lizard pet or the cute little tree. It's 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 Groot Junior. It's Baby Groot. So you don't have like the heavier aspects of it. You can spin those in a 
you can spin them in a Saturday morning cartoon way. Like maybe Isaac is the enemy of the week, but instead of him like turning and just getting captured and joining the team, maybe he's like mini Isaac. Maybe they can only find like a tiny robot body. So it's even funnier when he's like, oh, I'm going to destroy all the meat bags. But he doesn't really have the ability or the size to do any of that. So it's a more comedic spin on it. But I think you could take, I mean, even during the whole battle, the, the story that Battleborn went into, you can make up all kinds of little conflicts on all those different planets. You know, maybe he's, you know, maybe Rendane's raised up an extra strong thrall this week and it's Slave Breaker Rialto or whoever it is. And you can make season upon season of just that. And then when, you know, ratings are starting to flag, oh, maybe it's the final battle against Rendane. Here we go. And you have that as the big giant season long thing and you defeat him yay then the next season you start getting into the story ops and then at the end of that season oh well Rendane comes back at the end of Phoebe's story op and then you could start the whole thing all over again you can continue Battleborn the way that they should continue it in game form but are apparently not going to unless there's a big surprise coming in the future and, and I was going to say you should start with that but obviously you have to build the story for people to understand it. So I think that's the way to do it. A big five-parter to introduce all the factions, get the central conflict. Then you could do as much Monster of the Week stuff as you want in the, the current Battleborn storyline. And then you follow it to its conclusion. You do the story ops afterwards. Rendane comes back. Maybe he's, you know, maybe it's not just, hey, it came through the Varelsi portal. Maybe he's resurrected through some ritual of some side character that they've put into all the story ops. Something's going on. You bring him back. I mean, it's just, it's Transformers. You, you follow the Transformers formula. Megatron gets beaten. You know, some new, new dude comes along. And then Megatron comes back because you can't have Megatron. You can't have it not be Megatron Optimus Prime. You can't not have Rendane for at least, you know, forever. So there you go. Follow the Thundercats and and Transformers formulas, and you're gonna be all set. That's how you do it. Those are the those are the only Saturday morning cartoons I know. I don't watch stuff these days. What is it? I don't know. SpongeBob. But that's a dated reference nowadays. I don't even know what kids watch these days. So that's my Saturday morning cartoons. And we got we got one more answer to this mailbag question, and this comes from somebody I. I've never heard of. I'm not really sure who this is, and I'm not really sure how his, what his answer has to do with the question at hand, but I'm, I'm going to read it because we did get feedback. <clears throat> this answer, I mean, it's written in all caps, so I think that's kind of weird. I don't usually see that on Twitter. It says, I would be the main character and tell the story of my... my I can't... It's hard to read. I tell the... Uh, the story of my glorious sh- shooting star press. Oh, it's uh, something in my... Oh, my eyes are getting blurry. Something in my head's going... Oh, it's making my head hurt. What? Who, who sent this in? It's it's from Twitter. It's from... At Ultra... Uh, Ultra... Man... Russell... God... Just... What a 
<laughs> Ultra Man has returned. Behold, as I fly off the top rope with my glorious shooting star press, as I make you all submit to the Mexican Cloverleaf submission hold. Now, I am off to WrestleMania to win every title, and then I shall take over the world. <laughs> Shut up and sit down.